Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Well, good morning. Good morning. So it sounds like there's five of you out there. Let's try that again. Good morning. Oh, that's better. Now, I have to address the unspiritual things first, okay? So for some of you who do not know me, you do not know the fact that I am an Ohio State Buckeye fan. Um, So I stand before you as a recovering Ohio State Buckeye fan. And I, I made a gentleman's agreement <coughs> with Ian, let's say your name right, Paladino. So go ahead and stand up, because Ian, I couldn't, I went to the store, because we made a gentleman's agreement that I would wear a Michigan something. <laughs> and I, I'm serious, I'm not lying to you, Ian. I did go to the store to look for it. I may have not dug through everything, but I couldn't find one. So. To honor, to honor my friend Ian um, and to acknowledge the fact that I am temporarily, at least in this moment, a Michigan fan. <clears throat> my wife threatened me last night if I said that, so she isn't here, nor is she in, so if you tell her that, I'll be in trouble, so I guess you can hang it over my head. I wore Michigan, I, I don't know that the blue is quite right in, so I apologize, but I got it close and I got the tie, so. <laughs> well, the only one I know goes like this, OH. <laughs> but I don't know any Michigan cheers. <laughs> so anyway, I, I have, I, as, a, as a gentleman's agreement is played out, I, Salute all of you Michigan fans out there. Um, I have no leg to stand on. You beat us even without your head coach. So we're pr- he needs much prayer. What is it? He needs much prayer. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Ian, for that fun and <clears throat> humbling experience, if you would. I, I, I'm not too big to honor what I said I would do. I was really hoping for a different outcome. Okay. Now, to the spiritual things. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or your phones or whatever, turn with me to the Luke. And uh, as you're attending church, uh, this Sunday was kind of a transition Sunday, right? Uh, Pastors were filling in the gap between Thanksgiving and Advent. And this coming Sunday is Advent. So Uh, In doing so, I wanted to share uh, a message that was at least the beginning of Advent thinking as you're preparing for this coming Sunday and the following three Sundays after as you celebrate uh, the Advent and ultimately Christmas. And uh, this is the Christmas season. How many of you like Christmas, right? And not, not just because finals are over and all of that, right? But it's really a great time of year. Now, when I, I, I grew up and lived most of my adult life in the north, and oftentimes in the north, you've got snow. Um, and so there was lots of snow in Ohio oftentimes, especially around Christmas 
Uh, down here, not so much. Um, in fact, it's, I think it's only snowed once in the five years that I've been here. Um, so it's interesting, no snow, but we pretend like it's winter here. Um, I called my sister this morning, who is in Columbus, Ohio, that used to be a sanctuary place, but not so much. Anyway, it was snowing in Columbus, Ohio today, and uh, as she said, I suppose it's not snowing there, and I said, I suppose it's not. So anyway, Ohio, snow and Christmas, Advent, Luke chapter 1. Interesting passage of scripture as Luke takes us into the beginning stages of Jesus coming, and uh, the first time. And what I find interesting is the words of a man called Zechariah, right? And we don't talk a lot about Zechariah, but he is an intricate part, an important part of the story of Jesus coming to earth the first time. And um, he was the father of John the Baptist. But if you go to the fifth verse of the first chapter, you're gonna find these words. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, Aaron being the first high priest, brother of of Moses. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's interesting, right? That's some pretty high praise for a couple of individuals as, as they're being announced. Then comes the transition. And I'm always interested in the transitions that you find in Scripture. There's a word there that says, but. And and as I read the Bible, and as I I, I read through, I I like to find those little transitions that happen that add something to the story that's going to help us understand what is taking place in the life of someone. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 5, you're going to see something very similar to this where it's talking about Naaman. You remember Naaman? He's the guy that went down to the Jordan and dipped seven times, right? Um, Against his own will, but at the wishes of those who were with him said, why wouldn't you go do this? It says in in, in that passage of scripture, uh, 2 Kings 5, 1, it says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because though uh, through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, he was a valiant soldier. And then you find this word, but, right? Another transition, but he had leprosy, right? Now go back to Luke chapter 1, because that same transition happens in this particular verse 7 that you look at. It says, but... But they were childless. And not only were they childless, I'm not adding words here, I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Not only were they childless, but Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both, what does it say there? Very old. Now, I'm interested in that phrase, very old, right? I mean, okay. So when when I say very old, you think what? Oh, 80. Okay, I'm with you. I, I, I can go with that. Anybody else? I mean, like somebody is, Dr. Lanford and I were talking yesterday, you know, like you graduate and you're 23 and then everybody that's 24 and older is like old, right? Students, right? No? Okay, all right. So is, is 30 kind of the beginning of old? Oh, come on now, help me out here. 45. 
45 is, 45 is the beginning of old. Anybody that's what? Anybody who's a millennial. Oh my word. So for the boomers and the Xers that are here, you're just like, ah, you're like ancient, right? Old. They were very, so I was, I was interested in this phrase that, that Zechariah and his wife are old. In fact, in fact, when Gabriel shows up to talk to Zechariah, Zechariah, by his own admission, says, and I'm very old. I'm very old. And, and my wife is up in, you know, he doesn't call her old. He was a smart man, right? He says, and she's up in, up in years. So he, he, he saves face there just for a moment, at least in the English. Um, gives us a chance to, to see that he's caring for his wife in a positive way. But she's unable to have children, right? They're, they're childless. And so as I began to examine this and using the Bible, so those of you that are in hermeneutics using the Bible as its own commentary, if you go back to Numbers chapter eight, it actually outlines um, when priests were eligible to serve, right? So good students of the Old Testament, what were the ages that priests were allowed to serve? Age, that's close. 25 to, to 50, right? So in this passage, we, we assume using the Bible as the background for this particular story that Zechariah must be at the top end of his 40s, right? That, uh, and I'm not contradicting the Bible, but in my world, that's not old any, at all. But for this culture, it was old. And Zechariah was identifying himself as an old person very likely about ready to retire from his priestly duties. Now, there's a lot of commentaries that write a lot of stuff about this, so you can read about it and come to your own conclusion. But he, he considered himself to be old, and his wife was up at age and unable to bear any children. And there, there seems to have been a, a lack or a loss of hope. But then Gabriel shows up. Now, he has, he has drawn some conclusions in my mind that he is old, right? And so I have to think that he is no longer praying that they will have children. Now, this is just my conclusion, right? He's already identified that he's too old, his wife's too old, they can't have children, and so I have to think that he's probably not praying presently to have children. But Gabriel says something very interesting, doesn't he? He says, your prayers have been heard. Do you see that? Your prayers, your prayer has been heard. Now, it's interesting because Gabriel has come when Zechariah is serving in the temple during the period of time that was allotted to him. If you study this, Abijah, he was of the clan of, of Abijah, and there were 24 different groups that was served throughout the year. He was number eight. So he probably was serving sometime in what, the, what commentary or commentators would suggest is around June, July-ish, somewhere in there, right? He was serving at this point in time, and he was serving as priest. And as he's standing there doing his duties, it says that Gabriel shows up. And it startles him, and he's afraid. Has no idea, right, why this person would be standing there for him to listen to or observe or wonder what his words were going to be. But he brought 
good news. And that's what I want us to focus on because there are moments in my life, there are moments in your life when something feels or looks or we identify it as being hopeless, right? Anybody identify with that? It may be the smallest of situations where you just don't know, right? You're, you're out of the know. You're, you're outside of understanding what's taking place. And you're, you feel like you've lost hope in that particular situation. I can share a, a specific time in my life. Um, I, was, I, was, I was employed at Indiana Wesleyan University as a professor. I was teaching on a Lilly grant. I probably have shared this with you before, but the grant ended. And if you know anything about grants, for those of you that, that work with grants, you know that when they end, everything goes away, and my position went away. And I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have a job after, I think it was May 31st uh, of that particular year. And this was back in 2008. I was going through this in my mind this morning. It's been 15 years ago. I didn't have a job, and I was like, what am I going to do? What, what's what's going to happen, right? And in, in reflection backwards, when I'm looking back at it, I, I see the hand of God as he was carrying out each detail of my life. But man, that was hard to see. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience before? Oh, look up from your phone just for a moment. <laughs> have you ever had an experience just in, in your life where at, you, you can't see it, and then when you get on the other side, you look back and you see, distinctly see the hand of of God at work. Take notice of that in your life, because there's going to be those points as you trust him, you're not going to be in the know. You're not going to have the information that you really, truly want, but God hasn't forgotten you. And that's the interesting point of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They thought all hope was gone, right? They, they thought it had ended. The, the, any, any possibility of ever, and it, was, it had created such a shame, it was a public acknowledgement that they were not blessed by God at that point in their life. They didn't have or experience any kind of hope at that moment. But Gabriel brings a word that says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. It's going to be amazing. And at first it says Zechariah didn't believe, right? And th th that's the hardest point of trusting God and believing in what God wants to do for us is when we sense what God is doing and we try to believe it, but, and his word aligns with what we're trying to hold on to, but we don't see God at work in that moment. And that becomes very difficult for me to, to trust God in those moments, to hold on to what God is asking me to hold on to and to believe in what he's doing in my life. That becomes really, really difficult. And life doesn't always turn out like I expect, right? Uh, sometimes it's for the positive things, right? Uh, like Saturday, for instance. I, I got to tell you, I don't pray for my team to win, Ian, but I'm always tempted to do that. But I, I don't really believe God hears. So things don't always turn out the way that we want in our life. Sometimes we, we want certain things. We plan. I'm a very planned person, if you ask me about what I'm going to do today, I can tell you exactly what I'm going to do at what particular time, when I get up, when I go to bed, all those things. I'm very planned. I like things to be planned out. And God doesn't always follow my timelines. And I, when I get to heaven, you know, there's like five questions I've got for God, and that's one of them. Why couldn't I just know it would have relieved so much anxiety in my life, right? But he chose not to do that. 
But sometimes there's positive things that happen in our life that wasn't expected. Like you get a gift in the mail with maybe a card with a check in it or some cash, right? Nobody's ever had that happen. Or maybe you're praying that way. Oh, okay, all right. So you have, all right. Or how about this? A better expected grade from a professor who's feeling particularly, uh, particularly generous. Any, oh, okay, all right. Got some honest people here. Um, opportunities to travel maybe or... Uh, maybe it's a job opportunity that comes your way, something, something. So on the positive side, you know, and, but what we have a tendency to do is that we don't always, we don't always focus on the positive things that happen that's unexpected, right? I mean, you're a hard crowd, right? Sometimes we don't, I don't, I, I don't always, I don't always accentuate the things that God has done positively in my life and I've experienced a blessing and it just kind of comes and goes. But man, I, I can really hone in on the negative things, right? Anybody? Yes. Yeah? I can really hone in on those things that go the other way. Um, maybe it's um, parked by, uh, marked by some unexpected loss of employment or unexpected divorce if you're in that situation, a failed business, a death, unexpected bills, things in our life that happen that we just weren't expecting, negative things that have a negative impact. Maybe, maybe it started in hope and ended in disappointment. And it's possible that unexpected failures, disappointments, and letdowns come to remind us that God is still in control, not that he brings bad things necessarily. But the hurts of life can sometimes come back to our minds and impact our emotions uninvited, right? keeping us from moving ahead and experiencing life to its fullest. Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Things weren't happening like they had planned. And so here's what I want to share with you. I want to share four things that hope, if we'll hold on to it, will provide in our life. First, to experience a renewed hope in my life, I have to recognize my fear. Now, things that scare you and cause fear to emerge in your life might not be the same things that cause me to be afraid, right? Um, when I, my grandkids, two of my kids have giant tarantulas as pets. Does anybody have, ever have a tarantula for a pet? <clears throat> I, I, I am mortified of spiders because they lurk in the darkest of places right? I can't stand, I mean, even snakes don't bother me nearly as bad. And my grandkids, they love them. They, they, they buy them. I have no idea. Uh, the, the, the Brazilian white knee tarantula, did you know that wasn't a thing? They look like a spider skeleton. I, my grandson has it. I've seen it. Um, it's interesting, but I'm, I'm, I'm mortified by spiders. Um, in, in my life, I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of certain things in my life that, that I oftentimes don't have any control over. But there's fear. And if you, if you examine Zechariah and you examine Elizabeth's condition, situation, whatever you want to call it, it was outside of their control. Right? Outside of their control. But there was a fear in their life of being embarrassed or being humiliated because they couldn't have kids because in their culture that was an expectation and there was fear 
It says when the angel first came to Zechariah, it says he was gripped with fear, right? In fact, it's so notable that it's the first thing that the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, right? First thing that comes out of his mouth to say to Zechariah, don't be afraid, right? And sometimes we have to be reminded that God is in control and that our hope is not in our own selves and it's not in our own strength and it's not in our own abilities, but it rests in God. That's where my hope has to be situated. And the second thing I would suggest to you is that to be renewed in hope in my life, to experience hope in my life, I have to have faith, true faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Without faith. And, and I have to have faith in my life if I'm going to fulfill God's plan in my life. Zechariah's final response to the angel's words, unlike Jesus, John the Baptist is not conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's conceived by Zechariah out of faith. He has to believe that God is gonna fulfill what he has been challenged with. If you read between the lines just a little bit, Zechariah has been away on service in the temple. And when he returns home, he risks opening up his heart one more time to this reality that had never been experienced in his life, the hope of pregnancy. In fact, he can't speak. So I'm not sure exactly what transpired. He couldn't talk. For the next nine months, he was speechless. And it says whenever Elizabeth figured out that she was pregnant, she hid for five months or she went into seclusion for five months. But he doesn't let fear drive any disappointment in his life. And as we prepare for the Lord's return, the second return of Jesus, we can strengthen our hope. I can strengthen my hope by acting in faith in line with the Lord's ongoing mission. Let me read some things to you that I, that I have prepared. We can pr participate in the Lord's mission by giving someone water in his name. When my wife and I were living in Nashville, there's a large contingency of homeless people and they're just scattered all over, a lot of military bases, and when you're driving along, and so my wife and I, we, she said, you know what, we, we can't just keep handing them money because that was the first thing we did, because the quickest thing we could do was hand them money, and I know, you can come talk to me about it, it wasn't the right thing to do, it just was easing my own guilt. And so my wife began to put together packages, and she would literally put together a bundle, and in the bundle it would have a blanket, and some crackers, and some Vienna sausages, and a Bible, and some just all this stuff, right? that we would take so that we could give it to somebody as, a, as an act of reaching out and helping somebody who was homeless or in need. So in the Lord's mission by giving water in Jesus' name. We can participate in the Lord's mission by offering prayer in his name. Sometimes it's interesting when you're sitting at a restaurant, and this takes a little bit of courage, right? But a waitress will come up and my wife and I will say to that waitress, you know, we're getting ready to pray over our food or there's something that we can pray for you about. And I remember this one waitress, she said, you know what, I just found out I'm pregnant. Would you please pray for me? Well, absolutely. It's amazing the responses that we've gotten over the years as we've offered to pray in Jesus' name for individuals. We can participate in the Lord's mission by welcoming guests into our home, into our churches. We can, put, um, we can do all of this with great joy and hope, and not just by building hope in our own lives or experiencing hope in our own lives, but by somehow transferring hope into the lives of others. And as we respond in faith, our hope will grow. Here's the third thing. To be renewed in hope, to be renewed in experiencing hope in our life, we have to reject 
unhealthy shame. I feel like in my life, if there's one thing that has kept me from experiencing true hope, it's the shame that Satan constantly as, as, as the condemner, as the person who's going to remind me of all of my faults and remind me of all the things that I have done wrong, that, that, that deceiver, that he's constantly reminding me that I've got to reject that shame that comes along with my guilt, self-imposed guilt often, and say, Jesus, you've forgiven me for those things. You have worked in my life. And so I have to reject unhealthy shame. For Elizabeth, it wasn't, it wasn't self-imposed shame. It wasn't sin in her life, but it was childlessness. She couldn't have a baby. And that shame was projected through all the community because they didn't have any children. But Elizabeth's barrenness would no longer be her disgrace as a result of this. In the face of this shame, she experiences the glory of the Lord as her own glory is restored. And becoming pregnant, she's no longer barren, no longer disgraced. She is graced by God. Imagine the reaction of neighbors. Imagine that just for a moment. After five months of seclusion, she comes out and they're like, Elizabeth's pregnant. Wow, that's amazing. They said they couldn't have any kids. Now they're getting ready to have children. You know, sometimes the smallest things in our life, and maybe it's a big thing in our life, happens and we feel like we've lost hope, that we've lost focus, that we can't particularly experience what God would have or could have or should have maybe in our minds done. But God is able to work and provide hope even whenever we feel hopeless. And the last thing I'll share to you is to be renewed in hope, to be renewed in experiencing hope in God is to embrace God's grace. God's grace that he favors you. If you've been around me for very long, you know that I believe that every one of us was created for a purpose, each one of us, and that you are favored, highly favored of God. But sometimes we miss that favoring because we've got our eyes focused on other things, other, other goals, other people. But God could have chosen another way to begin the process of Jesus' birth, right? He could have, but he didn't. He used Elizabeth and Zechariah as the entree into John the Baptist who would speak the way of Jesus. Now, we may face disgrace in our lives, maybe previous habits or previous attitudes or previous failures. And if you ever want to sit down and talk, I can share my failures. I'm not going to do it in a public setting, but I'll be glad to share with you the failures that I've experienced in my life. And had it not been the grace of God, those failures could have or would have defined my life. But with God's grace and the hope that he's planted within me, I've seen him work in my life in ways that I could not even have imagined. Remember this. It was not John the Baptist who was the ultimate source of Zechariah and Elizabeth's joy, though. It was Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist was going to pave the way. He was going to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate source of hope for everyone, for our culture, for our world. We might hope for many things, and I hope for certain things in my life, and you hope for certain things in your life, and I want to experience certain things in my life, but our deepest longing, our deepest hope is already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen. He is here for each one of us today. And in this Advent season, 
May the grace of Jesus become ever real to you as you worship and identify with him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus can work in our lives and he can bring hope that nothing else can, regardless of what joy it may bring in the temporary moment, only Jesus Christ can truly satisfy. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the, for the gift of Christmas that we get to experience each year as we celebrate Advent, as we worship you, not, not just as a baby in a manger, though we reflect on that, but as our Savior, sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even today. We thank you for the gift that was given to us and made that hope that was extended over 2,000 years ago for all of mankind, may we share that with others. May they begin to realize through our words, through our actions, through the hope that we display, may it be to glorify you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, amen. Thank you, Dr. Christman. Appreciate that. Thank you. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.